Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters and joining me today are Kate Bailey, Deputy Personal Finance Editor and Special Guest Darius McDermott, Managing Director at Chelsea Financial Services. Now you may recoil at the mere mention of investing in Japan because of memories of poor returns in the past, but this market has now made strong returns for 10 years and avoiding it going forward could be a bad move. Kate, you've been looking at Japan. What's been driving this market and why does it look set to do well going forward? So in recent years, what's been driving it is faith in new or fairly new um, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe and his package of measures aimed at stimulating the economy. Um, So his programme, known as Abenomics, is kind of a three-pronged strategy or three arrows of monetary expansion, fiscal stimulus and measures to bring about better corporate governance and the market's really risen on the back of those policies since well particularly since 2012 when he was elected Um, and on the back of a much weaker yen which was also kind of part of that measure which has obviously made exports more competitive and markets really kind of took off from then and that's what's been driving it in recent years but actually if you look back 10 years returns have been pretty strong so um, I think maybe there's a bit of a a bit of a myth that Japan's been an awful place to be when in fact in recent years it's been pretty good. Darius do you agree that Japanese equities look set to do well? Well, I think Kate's touched on one of the main issues, which actually is stable politics. Um, They've had quite a lot of different politics of the the upper and the lower house, and Mr Abe now controls both and with substantial majorities. So then he now has these policies to put in place, um, some of which have been ongoing for a couple of years. Um, It it certainly feels a much better place from a stability point of view. I think some of the easy money has been made post the Abe election in 2012, but going forward, there, there are a number of reasons to be positive. Um, <clears throat> broadly, the improving corporate governance, they're trying to make Japan, encourage Japanese companies to give better returns on equity. They um, actually have quite low unemployment, which is, leads to higher wages, which should be good for the economy. And the third arrow, the sort of structural reform, is not one big policy, but multiple policies. And they've made a real drive to encourage tourism. They've reduced visa requirements for Chinese visitors. This has seen a massive pickup. In fact, they were targeting 20 million t- visitors to Japan by 2020, and pretty much achieved that last year. So, th- so there's things like that happening, and, and you know, tourists spending money, boost economy. Th- those, those are all reasons to be positive. Okay. Um, which companies are set to benefit from this, and which types of funds invest in them? Well, I mean, from a company point of view, it appears to be domestic Japan, which should benefit from some of these things. I mean, one of the the Arbonomic policies is to weaken the yen. In a yen, weaken some of your exporters, the likes of Toyota. Um, but the yen hasn't been weak recently. Um, they went to negative interest rates earlier in the year, and it had the opposite effect. And actually, the yen has strengthened, certainly against the dollar. So I've been one fund manager... Uh, a well-known fund manager in Japan recently said to me, he said, if you don't believe in Arbonomics, don't invest in Japan. And he is a small and mid-cap domestic growth fund manager. Um, so, you know, that is, I think, certainly in the short term, we do favour that sort of that sort of area, okay. domestic area. Yeah, and of any funds that are particularly good for tapping into domestic, let's say, rather than international stocks? Well, I mean, sort of broadly on... Japan is very much growth or value, and most managers mm-hmm. have a defined style. I think at the moment we would still just favour the, the the growth style, which would lead you to things like Bailey Gifford 
Japan or Japanese fund, which is a which is a growth oriented fund, or Leg Mason Japan Equity, which is a much more mid and small cap domestically growth fund, but it is very volatile that fund and has made spectacular returns if you invested it in the right time but it has had periods of times where its style goes out of favour and um, and it can be very painful. So a bit of rock and roll with that one then. Yeah, It is and you know there are some very good value funds in Japan mm. um, we are also big fans of the Man GLG fund which is a large cap value it's almost a total opposite mm. actually it's done quite well since the sort of the Brexit vote in with, with, with actually with the weakening sterling. Yeah. So that that's it's been in a, a good place in the last sort of two months. Okay. Now this all sounds very good, um, but Kate, what are the current risks of investing in Japan? Well, I guess it is all around arbonomics, and I guess, like Darius said, whether or not you believe in arbonomics, maybe. Um, I mean, the risk, like with central bank policy, we're seeing all over the world, is that is the bank running out of tools and how many times can you kind of try and pump up um, the economy before markets just lose faith in that and as Darius was saying at you know the start of the year the move to negative rates actually had the opposite to their intended effect and the yen started strengthening which may be a sign that markets are kind of are worried that uh, Mr Abe and, and the Bank of Japan are running out of tools to, to you know kickstart the economy I mean inflation does remain pretty low although it's up a bit um, which is good and it's coming from a very low base but those are the kind of risks so the risks are that actually you know this latest round of stimulus doesn't kickstart the economy and what happens is that the markets fall instead of rise as they should and you've also got currency risk going on I mean the, the movement of the yen against sterling has really dictated a lot of the returns from Japan funds in the past five years or more so I think those are the kind of key risks. Um, but, you know, those are the kind of risks that you're taking when you invest anywhere in the world, really, particularly with central bank policy as it is. OK. Um, Doris, are you concerned that anything could hold back Japanese equities? Kate's touched, I think, on the short-term mm. issues. Mm. Japan has two big long-term structural problems. One is huge debt to GDP. Uh, it's actually the, the worst in the world. And they, they just have really bad uh, demographics. They have an ageing population and have not addressed that really. So those are the sort of the two big long-term structural against. Um, Kate's touched on currency mm-hmm. and uh, and some of the other issues, um, but those are the things to be mindful of, and um, the central bank can only fire so many bullets when it's got this huge debt. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing them write some of it off. Okay. Um, Kate, you touched on the issue of currency. What exactly does this mean for sterling investors? Can you explain that a bit further? Um, yeah, I mean, when when these policies were launched and we saw a dramatic weakening of the yen, any unhedged funds did much worse compared to hedged share classes because when the yen weakens, our returns are poorer. So you can see an enormous divergence in returns from those funds which do hedge and those don't. So, for example, in 2013, the MSCI Japan GBP hedged index returned more than 50%, and that's compared to just 24% for the unhedged version of the index. So it's clear that, you know, taking a bet on the currency there um, does kind of dramatically impact your returns. Okay, um, that said, um, Darius, do you think investors should use a hedge fund for Japan at the moment then? I mean, again, I think this very much depends on your... How long you're investing for? If you've got a permanent allocation to Japan, I think you probably go unhedged because 
you want Japanese exposure and unhedged gives you that. But if you hedge and the currency moves, it doesn't make any difference, but it may actually affect some of the, the parts of the market. So a weaker yen does benefit exporters, as we've already mentioned. Um, yen has actually been very strong against dollar, but clearly, as we know, again, after yesterday's announcement, our own currency has been very weak. Mm. And if if you felt that sterling would continue to weaken, then unhedged might be a way. But I think at the moment on balance, certainly on a 6-12 month view, we want to be hedged. Right. Okay. Um, okay. There's um, quite a variety of Japan funds, um, I think, um, as you mentioned in your article. Um, of these, um, what are good options for investors at the moment? Well, I think it's, um, as Doris touched on earlier, it's this choice between opting for a quite a growth-flavoured fund, which is the kind of style that's been doing well, so maybe domestically focused companies um, or kind of funds with a small cap bias, opting for a value slanted fund like the Man GLG fund, for example, which has maybe been out of favour more recently. But if you think um, long term, the market might have a pullback, maybe that's the one to back. Or you could go down the corporate governance kind of bet and you could say you want to be take exposure to these companies which are finally paying out income and that is quite an interesting one I think just because yields have really risen um, for companies in Japan they definitely are paying dividends in a way that just was not the case in the past and income does give you potentially a slightly more defensive slant um, so I think we've mentioned Leg Mason um, and Bailey Gifford two funds which are kind of more growth focused um, which have been doing really well and then there's some quite interesting ones like Bailey Gifford Shin Nippon uh, which is a trust, and over five years, that's returned more than 230%, so it's pretty impressive. Um, and that's investing in kind of disruptive, you know, fast-growth businesses, more small-cap, mid-cap bias. So it's kind of those are the kind of interesting fast-growth um, ones that you could bet, and there are a few more funds in that bracket. Um, and then on the income side, CC Japan Income and Growth, uh, it's a relatively small investment trust, and it was only launched at the end of last year. Um, but that's been recommended by quite a few people, and it's quite interesting as one of the only income options, I think. Okay. Um, now, I guess we've probably been talking about people um, perhaps initiating holdings. For investors already in Japan, perhaps have got Japan funds, um, what funds do you think we should maybe continue to hold and are there any funds that perhaps you know people have been holding or been popular and they should drop in in light of current conditions yeah. i mean i think japan as a sector is no different than any other sort of investment sector is that the funds that have performed well tend to be the bigger ones mm. um kate's mentioned it's the growthier funds and certainly anything with a small cap bias has done really well in the last five years if i follow the argument of the fund manager's comment, who runs actually the Leg Mason Fund, who said, if you don't believe in our bonomics, why would you invest in Japan? Then you would want to stick with that sort of domestic focus. But historically, over long periods of time, actually value tends to outperform in Japan, not by a huge amount, but sort of 60% of the time. And, you know, when a style has been out of favour for a long period of time, as value has, the contrarian in me always sort of thinks, so I definitely, if I had some value funds, I wouldn't be selling them now just because they've done or they've underperformed the growth one. So I think I would hold on. And there's very few funds that actually go for a mixture of value and growth. They either tend to be very value or growth oriented. And I think probably a medium or long term strategy is you hold a bit of both because you just don't know which one's going to perform well at which time. 
Okay, some interesting suggestions. Thanks for that. Now, in the immediate aftermath of the vote for Brexit, there were some massive market plunges. But investors now have had more than a month to digest the news. So, Kate, what have markets been doing over July? So things generally looked a bit quieter than the month before. And in fact, a lot of things have recovered. So the FTSE 100's up. FTSE 250 recovered too, and the S&P reached an all-time high last month as well. Um, but then, conversely, oil did drop by quite a big, to quite a big extent um, after having rallied at the start of the year. And then the bond markets, emerging market debt, is still on the up, but um, government bonds lost some of their value across the UK and the US. How has this affected funds? Well, in fact, the funds, if we look at sectors, the funds sectors doing the best have been technology and telecoms and UK smaller companies. Um, and part of that will be related to the big arm holdings deal with SoftBank. Um, I guess unsurprisingly, property funds continue to be um, some of the worst affected, so some of the worst performers. And gold funds, again, a strong month. Um, so MFM Junior Gold and Old Mutual Gold and Silver is in the top, those are two are in the top five positions for the month. And then if we look at investment trusts, in fact, City Natural Resources High Yield Trust is among the top performers, as is biotech. So it's quite a big mixture, really. But um, obviously, any fund exposed to oil will be suffering as a result of that slide. And I guess property, yes, is the big is the big loser there. Okay, um, Darius, do you think markets will continue to be relatively calm? And what effect do you think that the Bank of England's interest rate cut will have on UK markets? I mean, I have to say, I've been <clears throat> broadly surprised about the resilience of the FTSE 100. Uh, I think it's today a one-year high um, that had a big rise after the rate cut yesterday. I think the the market clearly signalling that some form of action was required. <clears throat> but if you follow that again through to what the governor said yesterday, actually the outlook for the UK isn't great. Um, he's added these new QE measures as a sign of really desperation. Um, valuations do not look cheap. So I find it difficult to be hugely positive on UK equities at the moment. Um, they have been remarkably resilient post-Brexit. Obviously, there was a big sell-off. Anything domestic, um, certainly the mid and small caps, got very badly hit in, at the end of June, which maybe led to some of the outperformance in July that Kate spoke of. Um, so, yeah, it's hard to be super positive on equities given the outlook. Um, Europe is gently recovering, but we just don't know. There's so much uncertainty post-Brexit, particularly for UK market but then all the dollar earners have really been a big boost to the FTSE 100 as our currency has weakened substantially since then. Okay. Um, now, Kate mentioned the types of funds which did well in July. Do you think these areas have got further to go and are they good places to allocate to? I mean, I think the way the markets reacted post-Brexit broadly it makes sense. Anything, you know, the FTSE 100 is a 70% of overseas earnings when your currency devalues as sterling has. So I think probably for the next six months, I, I would want to continue that trend of probably large cap overseas earners. Um, and just some diversification away from the UK is probably a good idea at the moment. We've just talked about Japan. Um, US does look expensive to me, though. Um, the S&P having hit recent highs, it's at, they're at quite high PEs historically, and... Certainly on the sort of cyclical adjusted PE, it does look quite expensive now. But again, it's been very resilient and having reached record highs. So I wouldn't want to be adding anything new to the US at this stage. OK. Um, now, looking even further back, in June, 
there was actually a mass outflow from funds, in particular UK and European equity and property funds. Were investors right to fly from these funds? So again, this is all Brexit. Mm. Um, Retail investors and IA statistics have been really poor in the run-up to Brexit. Um, Property, if we want to start with property, property has been the biggest casualty. Uh, A number of funds have had to close and they've had to mark down their prices as expectation as um, buildings that you own are now worth less because of uh, you know, potential recession and all those sorts of things. So um, I think it was quite natural that people left property, um, but it was a reminder of the illiquid nature of the asset class. And if everybody runs for the door at the same time, they can't just sell all these properties. So, um, you know, they've had to close some of these funds. So that wasn't a surprise. UK equities have been very unloved in the run-up to Brexit. There's been pretty much been a buyer strike. I think it's a well-used phrase now, but it was happening before and certainly subject, you know, post the fairly surprising result I think most people felt that on average on aggregate we would remain even if it was close and you know that has given a real shock to the system. Okay Um, talking of shocks for good or bad to the system with the first interest rate cut for seven years what types of funds might be adversely affected and are there any you should avoid? Well uh, (laughs) It's hard for me to be positive on bonds mm. as an asset class when the yield that you get from them is so paltry. But further announcements yesterday um, that they're going to buy not only corporate uh, government bonds but corporate bonds as well should be positive. You know, supply and demand. If somebody wants to buy it, you know, the price could go up, but clearly the yield does go down. So that ought to be positive. But I just can't be hugely enthusiastic about the whole fixed income asset class when the yield is the yields are so low because mm. most people do hold fixed income yeah. for yield. Um, an area which I think could be interesting and was loosely touched on by the governor yesterday is potentially infrastructure. Mm. Um, infrastructure, equities and debt are still yielding around sort of 5 5.5%. There are one or two um, funds which you can use to actually get access to it and anything yielding 5 for income hungry people given that rates as you say got cut to a quarter of a percent I mean you cash is now negative in real returns mm. so I think infrastructure which is generally a lower risk type of equity uh, they tend to be lower beta to the market and if they're sort of paying five percent I think that's that's potentially attractive for people and again the governor said you know people have to take more risk with it to, to, to get those returns at the moment and he's encouraging it yeah okay so, um. Any other any other thoughts? Of I mean, interest rate cuts mm. should mean sterling stays weak. Again, that comes back to anything that benefits from weak sterling, like our exporters or companies that earn their majority of their earnings overseas when converted back to sterling. You, you get a boost. So I, I, I like I prefer the FTSE hundred and those type of companies. Funds like even load income um, have, have got strong positioning. Those quality companies that have overseas earners and is majoritatively large cap so something like that um certainly in the sort of six month view tends to be i think a slightly safer bet at the moment okay some uh, things to think about there now an area that's struggled and been out of favor of investors has been commodities and the funds which invest in them but this situation seems to be turning or at least in the case of one fund that kate's been looking at kate 
what fund is this and why has it been doing well? Kate, what fund is this and why has it been doing well? So this is City Natural Resources High Yield Trust and it is among the top forming investment trusts this year and that's after kind of five years um, spent in a commodity bear market. Um, so it's now it's more concentrated under new managers and it has just been benefiting from this kind of bounce back in commodities and in miners, which we've been seeing since the start of the year. The investment trust changed manager late last year. Who are the new managers and um, what changes have they been making? So the new managers are Keith Watson and Robert Crayford. And they've been trying to concentrate more in the top 20 stocks. So those now account for about half of the portfolio. They've also increased exposure to gold. Um, and that's kind of partly due to the outperformance of gold and partly due to their feelings on that. And they've also initiated some kind of deep value small cap mining stocks as well. OK, and now that sounds a bit risky. Um, why do they think that um, small cap mining companies might be beneficial to a trust? Well, they, they would kind of emphasise that these these are not in the top 20. So the idea is that they have this kind of barbell approach where they have some some of these very small companies which they expect to grow at a very fast rate over the long term. And then they balance that out with companies paying a really good income. So you essentially have a kind of sustainable portfolio of stocks which will hopefully grow and pay income over the long term. Okay. Darius, do you think commodity funds are a good area at the moment for investors? Yeah, I mean, commodities is a very broad subject. It includes energy, energy. we can talk about oil, but it also includes miners, precious miners, and then there are sort of agricultural commodities. Oil has been through a te- an incredible journey in the first seven months of this year. It sort of halved, doubled. Um, you know, it started the year around 50, went to 27, back to 50, and it's about 44, 45 today. Um, gold and silver have been the really spectacular performers this year, having been in a, in, in a bear market, as Kate has alluded to, the equities really have rebounded this calendar year and the majority of gold or gold and silver related funds are up sort of 130, 150% in eight months. So you've had a spectacular return. I, for one, quite like gold going forward, um, a bit of a gold bug. So I have sort of, for transparency, say that I, I, you know it's something I've long since liked. Um, I think you can still make good returns out of gold. Oil, very separate commodity. Um, a lot of the oil stocks have bounced post-Brexit uh, on that sort of currency weakness. I'd want to see oil meaningfully above 50 before I really got excited again. Um, so, yeah, it's been a very unloved sector. I think if you see some stability in commodity prices, you can expect funds that are dedicated in those specific areas. Um, Guinness Asset Management has a, a very good energy fund. Uh, if you're looking, if you like the oil price going forward from here, um, and Kate's highlighted a trust, but there are BlackRock Gold and General who mm. are uh, very good commodity managers and, and have a lot of expertise in that sort of gold and precious metals. So that, that's done very well this year as well. Okay. Um, and, and just thinking about gold and thinking about oil, what kind of um, investor profile are they suited to? Any, I mean, commodities are very volatile. Mm. Um, they've, they've been on a, in a very poor um, returns over the last few years, particularly the miners. But, I mean, if you look even at Anglo-American, it's sort of gone from £15 to 3 and then it went back to 7 or 8 so, I mean, these are hugely volatile areas, and that's all within a sort of a 12-, 18-month period. So it, the, the, these specific individual-type areas are for higher-risk investors 
who potentially a little bit more sophisticated and are, are prepared to try and time in and out of some of these commodities. Okay, some useful suggestions. Thanks, Darius. That brings us to the end of this week's podcast, so it just remains to thank Darius McDermott, Managing Director at Chelsea Financial Services, and Kate Bailey, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Investors Chronicle. You can read more on Japan, market movements and commodity funds in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle on the website. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend.